Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, you know, the summer moves on here. We got a little rain this week, you know, and um, it's hot. And, and they announced that football is happening. It is, and college. Well, and college NFL football, as well. college. Well, right. It's a right, little different, right. though. It's a little different. They've cut the season down a little bit, and whew, man, we dodged a bullet you there. Did. Because I hear we're not playing Carolina this year. Yeah, aren't you lucky? Because we were about wow. to break the streak. We had wow. just six years getting your confidence up, and the seventh year we were going to lay the wood. Man, we are so thankful. Gee whiz, we were right there. Trevor was tr- was trembling, trembling in his in his shoes as he sh- as he should be. This was our year. I'm just saying it would have. It would have been, you know, yeah. We would have. <laughs> we'll just have to wait till next year. <laughs> <laughs> next year, man. You guys get a rebuilding year. That's Good right. for you. Yeah, right, right. Get to lick our wounds from last year. <laughs> man, no. Of course, of course. You know, it's all SEC for us, so it's uh, we're going to be playing like yeah, an Auburn. You're, you're <laughs> we already still, play LSU. So. Yeah, you're still going to get get some bruising. It's going to be yeah. some bruising going on there. Probably. Yeah, right. And uh we get to play all ACC, so we get to pretty much walk through. Although no I think Notre Dame's in our schedule they now. Are. They are. They yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. It's on so, the road for you guys. So we do so have be tough. we do have a couple tough games there, but yeah. uh <laughs> it'll be fun. Hope it all goes off. I do too. But man, we dodged a bullet with the Carolina game. That's uh that was a close I'm one. Glad you realize that. Wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but hey, we got golf. We got the PGA Championship this week, it's exciting. you know. Exciting. Yeah, major. Man, I'm excited about that. We got Tiger playing, you know. First major of the year. Bryson DeChambeau, first major of the year, and then we're going to have all of them, bam, 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 here in just a few months. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Masters be, coming up in November. November, yeah. Not yeah. sure there'll be any fans there. Yeah, but. they're going to be announcing that here real soon. Yeah, and, I don't uh, see how they can do it. I don't see how we can have fans. That would be a shame for us locally. Having said that, at least we won't have all the people coming in, when, you know, bringing in infections and stuff. So true, true. It's always a silver lining. So a lot going on here, and uh, you know a lot going on in the stock market too. Boy, the stock market just kind of rolls on, and um, you know we got some great topics to talk about. We got the election coming up. Oh, there's an election John, this year. There is an election I had this no year. No idea. Getting lots of questions about that. Yeah, yeah like daily, like moment, every hour, yeah. right? So we're going to talk about that because, um, you know, it was a great article here that really breaks it down, takes it back all the way to the 1700s, looking at elections. So we have the answer here about what the elections do to the stock market yeah. in general. You can't argue with data, right? You can't argue. Lots of data here. Lots of data. Lots of lots. Of. So anyway, we're going to um, switch gears and uh, go into, uh, and there's a lot of scams, Steve, during this pandemic. And um, this is a really good article uh from uh, the BBB Consumer Tips, and it just kind of talks about what to do, what not to do, um, some things that are being done to resolve this. I get these calls all the time, and yeah, actually answered one. I'll, I'll tell the story when we get in there, but uh, you know, it the, it works. I mean, there are four hundred and fifty million dollars in losses since two thousand fifteen, so people are falling prey to these scams. So you want to. Yeah, Be careful. It's, it's crazy, and apparently they've ramped up here during the well, pandemic because yeah. you know there's new things that they can target, you know, during the pandemic to scare you with. So, uh, so that'll be a great topic. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our week 
weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check out our website, moneymd.net. Uh, and we have the you know the podcast. Gosh, we can go back to 2016 talking about the elections. Yes, um, we may, may have to go revisit that as well because you know there was similar uh, negative talk before that. So a lot of history on the podcast. We have good videos out there as well. I think we just put a new video from DFA out there to uh, check out about timing the market so uh, facebook page money md so a lot of resources out there for you yeah absolutely so do check us out there and you can link to us there on our website send us your questions we'd love to hear from you and we'll answer those on the show we're going to start off here john with our financial fact of the week yeah we're getting a lot of uh, questions on uh, should i invest in gold and uh, gold has done well it's uh, had a nice little run here but there's a reason why we don't recommend gold and Dave Ramsey does not recommend gold, and the reason is is the past 80 years, gold has returned about 5%, whereas if you look at the S&P 500, it's returned over 10%. Now, obviously, past performance doesn't guarantee future results, but that's not a real good uh, trade-off. It's not. I mean, yeah, when you look at gold, interestingly enough, when you look at the past 30 years, you know, since it's been deregulated, it hasn't been tied to the dollar you know, it's had about the same volatility as the stock market. Yeah. So it has about as much risk as the stock market and has half the return. Yeah, and that's something I want to sign up. What's wrong with that picture? Yeah. Plus, there's the cost of buying and selling it. You know, I mean, unless you're buying an ETF or something, I mean, you're if you're buying it physically, there's a big markup, markdown every time you buy and sell it. It's just not something <clears> you want to own in your portfolio in any big way. So, you know, that's the story on gold. Half the return just yeah. as much risk. It can't be a hedge against inflation, but gosh, I mean, you know, putting all your money in there or doing this physical goal where it's stored in a vault and all the paperwork, oh my goodness. It's, uh, uh, that's a nightmare. You yeah. can't, and you can't get out of it very easily. You got to pay storage fees and, and yeah, you don't want to do that. And then if you buy physical gold, you got to store it in a safe in your house or something. And like I said, there's a markup markdown every time you buy and sell it. So I don't know. I mean, you know, hey, call us if you want to talk more about gold, but yeah, it's not the the facts don't really line up well. So that's our our fact of the week. And speaking of facts, we have lots of facts about the presidential elections, John. We have a great article here out of a uh, Fidelity Viewpoint, um, Jaron Timmer, and you know it takes elections and it looks all the way back to the 1700s. I mean, we're talking we go back to 1789 here with elections. <laughs> So we got lots of data here to share with you. But, yeah, we're getting lots of questions about the election and the stock market. I mean, it seems people have very strong opinions. The market may react violently if one party or the other wins the White House in November. So I want to take a fresh look at that issue. Um, of course, we've talked about this several times on our show before. So you can go back and, you know, 2016 and, you know, even 2012. Yep. And I'm sure we have shows talking about their election. Um but it's always good to remind ourselves what the history shows and what we really need to focus on when it comes to the stock market. Um, you know, in the case of the stock market, it is fundamentals like corporate earnings, interest rates, economic growth, which drive the stock market. But external events like the elections, you know, sometimes can be correlated to stock returns. And, you know, there are some interesting trends when you look at the four-year election cycle of the related to the stock market um there's some interesting patterns there but the major drops due to one party or the other winning is not one of those patterns 
Um, so let's dig in a little bit into some of what history shows about elections and the stock market. Yeah, it's something called the presidential cycle, as it's known, and it, it shows a pretty consistent pattern. The first two years of a presidential term have historically tended to, to produce below average returns. No, it didn't say negative returns. It said below average. Right. They're still positive, but below average returns while the last two years have been uh, above average. So presumably, you know, the reason for that is during the first half of the term, the president's new agenda uh, could take some time to work through uh, the economy and it might produce some, you know, heartache and heartburn for the market if it's not considered market friendly. But during the last two years, the party in power tends to to be more inclined to focus its attention on getting reelected or so goes the general thinking. So, you know, again, history doesn't always repeat itself, but those are just the general trends. Yeah, that's right. You know, and it is interesting when you look back, John, I mean, there's some of these charts. The Boy, it goes way back. It's interesting how even it is between Republican and Democrats going back. Um, but yeah, the two-year cycle, you know, it presumably it's related to fiscal stimulus and monetary, you know, stimulus, you know, like tax cuts that, you know, they that, that tend to get put in place um, by politicians, you know, when they're approaching re-election. And that tends to goose the economy, kind of creates a big rally, presumably, and it's intended to reinsure re-election, you know, of the incumbent party, or at least that's the goal. Um, but the market's lackluster performance, you know, back in 2018, um, just shows how, 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 you know, uncertain that is, um, cause it was followed by strong gains in 2019. Well, actually that does fit the pattern. 2018 was the first two years. Mm -hmm. Then 2019 was a really strong year, but now we have 2020 where we had this pandemic, right? Um, and so, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be a strong year unless we have some major turnarounds, yeah. here, right? So uh, so that would definitely not follow the pattern. Um, but, you know, this data we're looking at here, I mean, it shows president election, presidential elections going back some 200 years, <clears throat> um, 58 different occurrences. And it's interesting that a Republican wins 24 of those. A Democrat, you know, wins 24 of those with a sweep as they, they you know, consider it. Um, and then there's another 16... Uh, Republican, 19 Democrat, where you have kind of some form of gridlock, where you have president wins one party and the House and Senate have another. Um, so, you know, I mean, since the party system really wasn't in place back before, um, you know, in the very early days, that doesn't quite add up to going all the way back to 1789. But most of the periods are covered here. And it's just really interesting you know, to see what the short and long-term similarities are. Yeah, and, and what is interesting is that the uh, the differences in the outcomes over the first two years following a presidential election, um, they've all but disappeared by the time the full four-year term has taken place. So, for instance, an average um, uh, on average over a two-year period, the market does better following a Republican win, uh, about 8% versus a Democrat, about 6%. But over the full four-year term, the average difference basically disappears. They're, they're about 8.7% roughly between the two yeah. of them. Um, and the contrast is even more extreme when there is a sweep. So when the Republicans sweep, the two-year average is about 12%, and the Democrat sweep, uh, the, it's just about about 3.5%. But then again, after four years, uh, the average return is, is uh, uh, you know, a little bit over 8% for both of them. So first two years sometimes can make a difference. It depends if it's a uh, sweep or not, but then it averages out over, over time. And, and, you know, the other thing that this article 
kind of points out but doesn't is there's so many economic events that are going on, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. wars and, and um, you know, recessions and so forth that are not caused by politics, the right. pandemic. right. And so they're and they're working on it. We're looking at a relatively small, even though we're going back 200 years, 58, 58 data, data points. points. Yeah. So 58 data points. And you have the huge swings in the stock market caused by pandemics and, you know, yeah. by, by, uh, you know, financial crises and dot com bust and all these things. 9-11s. I mean, it just happened yeah. to happen during a term. It it's really skews the data. It but does. it's interesting, though, after all that said and done. Yeah. It's almost the same under Republican and Democrat. After four years, yeah. After four years, yep. right? Yep. So the average is remarkably the same, yeah. So, you know, but we also see a difference between the various gridlock scenarios. You know, Republicans win without a majority in the House or the Senate. They have produced about a two-year Ford return of only 1.1%, while the Democrats, um, if they win— <clears throat> With opposition in Congress, they produced a Ford return of about 14.5%. So, huge difference. So, again, that shows you just it was probably luck, right? It's probably just something that was going on, right? I mean, yeah, it didn't make any sense. That's probably when Obama took in 2008, coming off of a huge bear market. Exactly. You know, I mean, so it just depends on what's happening. Uh, You know, George Bush with 9 11, it just depends on where you are in the cycle. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, over the four year cycle, though, as we talked about before, it really narrows to 8.7% versus 10.9%. So, gets pretty similar over four years. And, you know, part of the difference is probably the result of the small sample size, as we mentioned, you know, I mean, for instance, there are only six instances where a Democrat was won the White House without taking control of both houses of Congress, including the President Obama's second term in 2012, as well as Clinton's second term in in 1996. You know, and those were very strong periods for the stock market, producing, you know, annualized gains of like 22% and 27% respectively. So, you know, that really kind of skews the data. And then there are only nine gridlock cycles on the Republican side, including several recessions, like George Bush's first term in 2000, right at the top of the tech bubble. And then we had to, you know, and that was down 25% for those two years. And then Reagan's first term in 1980 produced a negative 2% for the first two years as you hit a double dip recession in 1980 and 1982. So, you know, but then you had the reelection and, you know, you had a great gain in 1984 um, after that. So there's a lot of variation here that's just just part of the economic cycle. Um, But it's likely midterm elections, you know, can play a role in creating a contrast between the two and four year returns terms. And the political pendulum pendulum is always swinging. You know, it seems I mean, sometimes quickly. Other times, slowly, while some midterm elections do reinforce the president's mandate, others cancel them out, mitigating whatever market momentum or positive or negative is underway in the first two years. So you really, there's no way to tell. Yeah, and but at the end of the day, I mean, it really is long-term fundamentals of earnings and interest rates and labor growth, productivity, uh, and the mean reverting nature of an independent monetary policy that uh, that drives long-term returns. And so it really is the economy and, and therefore the market that is simply bigger than the direction of the political winds. Um, midterm elections tend to equalize any lopsided returns over the first two years. And you know, you know, when someone we look at their portfolio, they don't have just U.S. stocks. They also have right. international <clears throat> yep. and bonds. And so that's why you diversify. So if you go through a, a tough two year period or whatever, you have other assets that you can tap. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and it's just good. Um, 
it's a good reminder that while, you know, it's sometimes suggested that a particular party or president is good or bad for the stock market, ultimately these long-term fundamentals that really matter, you know, and while, you know, policy initiatives like taxes and spending can affect markets over time, um, you know, it's demographics and, you know, an effect of monetary policy that have the bigger effect. So for long-term market perspective, you know, the most important thing um, is the, you know, demographic wave of the aging population, how it increases demand for health care and, you know, social security benefits. You know, those are likely to result in higher debt levels maybe over the future. You know, so there, there's there's other factors at play that are a lot more important. Ultimately, it's the long wave of economic fundamentals in growth, in earnings that drive the markets beyond any one election and any one party. And I will say that's one thing that capitalism is brilliant at is if, if there is a change in policy, change in procedure, they go out and figure out a different way of doing it, right? I mean, look at the, the right. tariffs over in China. All these supply chains had a new problem in front of them, and they went out and they are coming up and have come up with different solutions. Same thing with the pandemic. I mean, that's what that's what makes capitalism work over time is you get a problem in front of you and you go fix it and you figure out how to go somewhere different than what that problem is stopping you from. So, yeah, companies adjust very, very quickly to they, the situation. And uh, that's what capitalism allows them to do. And so they're going to adjust and they're going to make money under whatever environment gets thrown at them because that's that's what companies do. There's a what, lot of incentive yep. and they innovate. So uh, anyway, great, great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, should I use my HSA, that's a healthcare savings account, uh, for current medical expenses, or should I just save it for retirement? So to have an HSA, you have to have a high deductible plan. And, um, you know, if you can save that for retirement and put it in some investments and let it grow over time, um, you know, you got a tax break when you put it in there. And when you pull it out in the future, if it's used on medical, there's no taxes at all. So it really is the best account on the market. Now, it's not it fun is. using it on medical necessarily like vacations, but everyone has going to have medical expenses. So if you can cash flow your expenses for medical yeah. and leave the HSA alone, that's what we would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the HSA, you can take it out in the future. You can, you can save those expenses today, those receipts. And you, it allows you to take the money out in the future. I don't know why they allow you to do that. It's like too good to be true, yeah. you know. But it, it, but it's true. Don't tell them. It's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they might you it. can just save your receipts, and you can keep your money growing tax free, you know, forever. And then, you know, sometime out there in your seventies or eighties, you know, later on, you can say, okay, I'm gonna yank it all out now. You know, I've had thirty thousand dollars of expenses and. Here it is. Give me that money tax free. Mm -hmm. And you, meanwhile, you've had, you know, 10 extra years of, of tax free growth. So it's a beautiful thing. I, I would I would highly recommend if you can use it to fund the fund your HSA. If you have one, you know, of course, you got to, you know, be younger than 65, not on Medicare. There's some rules, you know, you have to have a qualifying health plan. But, uh, you know, if you can do it, fully fund that thing and then just let it grow. Let it ride. You know, don't don't spend it if you can if you can avoid it. Um, so. Good question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is, 
the scams, John. I mean, they're just preying on us during this pandemic. Yeah, a lot, lot of fear out there. One of the most common scams nationwide involves callers pretending to be government officials. Um, some claim to be tax officials yep. representing Social Security Administration, sometimes the IRS. Um, others claim to be law enforcement officers and uh, threaten legal consequences. So they basically are using fear and intimidation to, to trick victims into turning over personal information uh, or money or sometimes even gift cards, Steve. I don't yeah. think the IRS wants yeah. gift cards. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. <laughs> you know, call them on gift cards. Yeah, I mean who would fall for that? You know, and say, oh yeah, the IRS wants to be paid with Amazon cards or Walmart cards or you know Bitcoin or something. I mean, yeah. it's just. But yeah, anyway, there's a new investigative study by the Better Business Bureau that finds that while the number of government scam reports has fluctuated, scams have become more diverse and more sophisticated. In addition, many scammers have taken advantage of the coronavirus pandemic here by posing as the CDC. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they said that Internal Revenue Service representatives um, who can expedite economic uh, impact payments, you know, to contact tracer or contact tracers employed by local government agencies. So they're just taking this, twisting it, and they're pretending to be a CDC or the IRS or you know, some kind of contact tracer and calling you up, you know, and got a new twist on the same scam. Yeah, I had one of those a couple of weeks ago from um, the IRS, basically. And uh, I think they were yeah. from India, but I basically said I couldn't speak English and uh, <laughs> just kind of stayed on the phone with them just and messed with, with them a little bit. Rather yeah. than just hanging up. Yeah, I usually hang up, but I just felt like. Yeah, you know, I got a robo call <clears throat> from an IRS, but it was a, it was almost sound like a robotic language, you know, I mean, yeah. it, you know, voice and. Just yeah. said, you know, the IRS is, you know, you know, you're you owe back taxes or something like that. Gonna you arrest know, you. Call, you know, push this number now, or you're going to be arrested. Exactly, is that kind of thing. So yeah, so you know, a lot of these scams involve the robocalls, or they're transferred to a call center in India when some type of interaction takes place. So you know, they're constantly evolving. They prey on people with uh, threats of being arrested if the money is not paid or uh, personal information provided. And the uh, Federal Trade Commission reports is about 450 million dollars in losses. Since 2015, that's a big number. That is, and, uh, it's and hard to believe. It really is. In, in 2019, the um, BBB reports receiving, uh, they received about scammers impersonating tax officials, claiming back taxes were owed, dropping sharply, while uh, reports about Social Security um, administrators impersonators quadrupled. So I don't, I'm not sure why they're switching kind of their their game there, but um, you know, they're they're looking for an edge. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe. Yeah, in many cases, though, the scammers insist they're law enforcement officers or they threaten to arrest people immediately if they don't pay money. Usually they want gift card money, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, which, which ought to be a clue yeah. if somebody's asking for gift cards. Yeah, I mean, you know, they may tell um, customers that they're the social their Social Security number has been associated with a crime or may threaten to deport, you know, recent immigrants or arrest people for missing jury duty. So, I mean, there's all kind of twists on this, but, you know, there's a lot of common threads, too. Yeah, they go through a story. A, a woman received some calls from Social Security. She actually talked to a live person. Um, she knew it was a scam, so she kind of messed around with them a little bit, gave her a uh, fake Social Security number, and, and uh, they basically said, they came back and said, hey, there's been some crime reports linked to this Social Security number in El Paso, Texas, and told her that she needed to pay $10,000 or they were going to lock her up. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, obviously, people that do fall for this. But 
you just got to be careful. If they're asking for gift cards or prepaid debit cards, um, that no one, no government entity is going to, they'll contact you by a letter. That's how the IRS right, contacts you. They'll right. send you a letter. And um, you can you can take a look at that and go. But most of them are coming through India, right? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Fortunately, the government's starting to crack down on this, you know, in different ways. But, yeah, imposters call from India. They, they have to go through a gateway carrier in the U.S. And these carriers often provide kind of a spoofed phone numbers that appear on the caller ID and return um, phone call numbers uh, for voicemails that appear to go to locations here in the U.S. So the Department of Justice recently sued two of these carriers um, while the FTC and the Federal Communication Commission um, issued warning letters to others. And, you know, as a result, the robocalls and the individual calls coming from India have declined drastically over the last, last several months, thankfully. Yeah, other law enforcement efforts have led to arrest of dozens of Indian nationals um, for laundering money. Um, <clears throat> however, the study you know, noted that they're rarely, rarely p- prosecuted. I'm sure they're coming from other countries as well. It, right. This article mentions mm-hmm. just India, but I'm sure it's other places around the world. So there was a report done, and and basically, they're uh, they're trying to uh, end the caller ID spoofing legislation. Maybe needed to address the problem. I think if you get the FTC doing some lawsuits against companies, right. I think that'll help. And uh, the government of these countries should you know do more to prosecute and extradite the uh, the fraud, uh, the people that are doing the fraud from those countries. So law enforcement should be contacted. Um, you know, if you have an issue with this and, um, you know, efforts by many retailers and banks to question people buying gift cards has had limited success, right? So the gift card industry and retailers um, should explore additional ways to uh, stem stem fraud associated. Yeah. I'm not sure how that would, yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. kind I mean, of a week. Yeah, the re- yeah, I mean, the report says, you know, law enforcement should take, you know, immediate action against these people here locally in the U.S. and Canada are doing this course they're shorthanded you know yeah. and now they're being defunded so yeah i mean they're not gonna <laughs> yeah. yeah they're probably not gonna be able to do not that be on the top know? of the list not gonna be top of the list but then it says also efforts you know need to be made by retailers and banks to question people before buying gift cards you know um that have had limit but they've had limited success in stopping the gift card purchases for scammers because you can always say oh i got a company and i'm mm-hmm. you know rewarding employers or customers or something like that so there's so many excuses you can make and it's you know, it just takes too much effort for them to track these down. So it's really got to be at the government level. Um, but at the same time, I think there's some things that we can do, you know, personally. And, and we each have to, we have to, you know, be on our guard and help our, you know, help our family members, you know, particularly our elderly parents be on the guard, mm, right? Yeah, no doubt. They they do say that you can go to the IRS or Social <clears throat> Security, uh, FTC, uh, cell phone carrier and, and file a complaint, file a form. But Gosh, I mean, I think the most effective thing is is the FTC going and suing some of these companies and and stopping it. So if they're having some, you know, you know, productive measures in that area, that's probably going to be the best best effective measure. Yeah, but personally, I would just say, you know, if you have family members um, that are elderly that are targeted to be scammers, because usually they are targeting the elderly. Um, you know, you need to help them. You need to, you know, go through a routine and, with them and, and just tell them, you know, don't answer the phone, you know, if you don't recognize the number, you know, don't yep. talk to anybody, you know, don't listen to anybody that would try to tell you that, you know, they're from Microsoft or the IRS or anybody else. They won't call you. They'll, those companies will always send a letter. You'll always get something in the mail yep. from somebody, if, anything official, they always precede it with a letter. So, 
you know, if you haven't received a letter, don't talk to them, you know? Yeah. And so there's just a lot of things you can do. If you get an email, don't click on the link, right? Exactly. There's, there's a lot of, lot of tricks that they try to use as phishing. Yeah. And never, call. ever, ever send money to anybody, you know, and for heaven's sake, not gift cards, but, no. you know, but anybody you don't know, I mean, get to get your family involved, develop a relationship with your with your aunts, with your, you know, elderly, you know, parents, you know, so that they understand that they're going to call you first and you're going to get to, to intervene before they actually take any action on yep. anything like this. Yep. You know, let them know that, you know, we want, you want to be involved and you want to help them with that, you know, and that's what we've tried to do with, you know, my, my, my mother-in-law and, you know, we have an aunt too that's out on dating sites and she keeps getting trying to they keep trying to scam her mm-hmm. through these dating sites I try to tell her just don't go to their dating sites but she really wants to go through them and we're like you know uh, you just you just open for scammers i mean you're yeah. not gonna find anybody there you know that, yeah. that really is interested so it's unfortunate but that's the world we live in so do be diligent <clears throat> money to, doctors are talking about dating sites that's yeah, that's the first time right there you go there you go avoid the dating sites <laughs> particularly right. if you're elderly yeah, or check them out. You know, the key is check them out. Yeah, you know, just, if you're going yeah. through a dating site, check somebody out on, you know, Spookio or, you know, the Internet. There's lots of ways to check people out to see if they're a legitimate person. Yeah. And the ones I've checked out for her, by the way, never a real person. Really? Never. Actually, there was one that was a real person, but he was pretty slimy. <laughs> but when you look at his record. But anyway, I'm just saying, you yeah. can check people out. Sure. You know, yeah. you can. Today, with the Internet, it's easy to do. So... There you go. That's it for uh, the scammers. And that leads up here to our final thing, which is the prescription of the week. Yeah, I've heard uh, Dave Ramsey talk about this a lot. And uh, and we see this with our, our clients in certain cases that if there's, you know, arguments or fighting over money, um, a lot of times that's a symptom of a bigger marital Absolutely. issue. It's not, it can be a money problem, but it's usually um, something else that's going on in the marriage. So, you know, we do recommend folks going to marriage counseling sometimes to yep. um, to get an outside perspective. Um, once you can, if you can get the marital issues resolved, sometimes the money issues fall in line. Not always, but uh, it's just something to consider. Yeah, I mean, it's real important to be on the same page in a relationship, <clears throat> you know, with your money. It, it always exacerbates the problem you know, in marriage, I mean, money is just one of those things that if it's not the problem, it is it is somehow related to it. In most cases, you know, I just sat down with a gentleman yesterday and, you know, similar type situation, you know, yeah. there was money issues between them. So, you know, we recommend, you know, going to an FPU class together. Go yeah, to Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. If young people, before you get married, go take one together or do it immediately when you get married, right? And get on the same page, do a budget together so you have some common goals and common, you know, um, kind of constraints and you know where your money's going and, you know, be open, talk about it. Um, you know, money is a big issue and you got to be on the same page in a marriage yep. when it comes to money. So good prescription of the week. That leads us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 